probably not the best way, the ideal way for a preacher to start out a sermon, but I may have lied last Sunday. Last Sunday, as we continued our vocation series, focusing on our callings, we were considering the qualities of a disciple of Jesus, being mindful that the disciples bear fruit, that disciples love one another, that they're willing to, to give up things to, to follow Jesus. And I mentioned that one of the biggest challenges for disciples of Jesus may be that call to pick up our cross, to bear our cross and follow him. But today's theme or message or aspect of being a, a disciple in Jesus' calling may actually rival that just a slight bit. Cross-bearing might have a little competition this morning with a different challenge, the challenge of giving. Have you noticed that none of Paul's letters in Scripture ever start out with, Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I'd like to talk to you about the matter of your offerings and your giving. You don't find that in any of his letters. If, if you've gone through our membership class, that you'll notice that the first half of the class, the, the first 15 lessons, don't even touch on the topic of giving until the second half of the course. So, so why is that? If this matter of giving and offerings is so important, then why, why don't we address it? Why don't we bring it up right away as of a matter of importance? Well, there are a number of reasons, but there's one reason in particular. The, the gift of giving is really a matter of grace. And in order for somebody to, to understand the importance of managing God's gifts faithfully and being a, a generous giver and to grow in the grace of giving, there has to be a foundation of grace. And quite frankly, in order to build on that foundation, the, the foundation first has to be in place and it takes time for that foundation to be poured. See, it's not like a, a recent foundation that we had poured for a, a new storage facility here, no for, storage building. That was all done in, in, in the course of a morning. But the foundation of grace on which we build godly, generous giving takes time. It, can, it, it means a, a, an ongoing pouring of grace to fill that foundation and lay it in place. And so if this topic, if this subject matter of giving if it makes you uncomfortable to talk about it or to talk about money, if it makes you cringe or bristle just a little bit or to tune out because here goes the church talking about money again, then that just means that your foundation hasn't completed being poured yet. And none of us really have. But, but my encouragement to you is if you're not there yet and that's how you still feel about giving, please don't give up. Give it time. Allow God to continue to pour grace into that foundation and eventually... As he does so, that grace will show itself in generous, godly giving. The Apostle Paul addressed that important matter um, in his encouragement to the Corinthians in his letter today. That encouragement reflected uh, an attitude that started out strong in the, the Corinthians, but it had kind of faltered. The topic matter, the subject that, that Paul was addressing, referred to a... a an offering that he had mentioned in this first letter, 1 Corinthians. At the very end of that letter, Paul talked about a special offering that was needed for the brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem. And the Corinthians were excited about taking up that offering, and they had started strong, but somewhere along the way it had fizzled. So Paul picks up as he follows up in this letter here, in this section that we're focusing on today, 
to give them kind of a, an ongoing encouragement as, as we have a status update, in a sense. Paul wants to compel them to finish that gift that they had started. And we want to take note of how Paul encourages their godly, generous giving and take away from it how we too might also learn to manage his gifts faithfully and grow in that grace of giving. So notice that there are really two ways that the Apostle Paul kind of encourages the Corinthians in this godly giving. One, he points them to other givers. And then two, he points them to their gifts. First, Paul pointed to the other givers, the example of the Macedonians. And he gives that example to us in the first five verses of chapter 8. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So as we focus, as Paul encourages, uses these other givers, uh, the Macedonians, as an example to the Corinthians to encourage them, there's really three things worth highlighting in this example of these other givers. One, that they turned poverty into generosity. Two, that they pleaded to participate. And three, that they exceeded expectations. It's pretty remarkable the way that Paul describes it. It would seem that it'd be impossible to turn poverty into generosity. How does that happen? That's, that's not something that we normally see or are accustomed to seeing, and yet you know that with God nothing is impossible. In fact, there's a, a book that, that proves that point, um, one that shows often how, how many times God does the impossible. And maybe you've heard of this book. It's called The Bible. Isn't the Bible an, an entire record of God doing the impossible? Those things that, that man thought were impossible, and, and not just the miracles, but, but the, the very nature of, of bringing us from unbelief to faith, the, the very call to, to faith and to give us the blessing of heaven. God is, is in the business of carrying out the impossible, so it shouldn't surprise us that the Macedonians who had nothing, who were impoverished, gave generously. God constantly brings something out of nothing. Whether it's the Old Testament feeding the, the wandering Israelites with, with nothing, giving them manna and quail out of thin air. Or if it's in the New Testament and multiplying a few fish and, and loaves to feed families by the thousands, God can take very little or nothing and multiply it into something generous. So it isn't surprising in light of what God is able to do that we see this example in the Macedonians. Paul also uses them as an example because they pleaded to participate in this offering. Now, you know that that's not natural. We don't naturally go around looking, where do we throw our money? Where can I support this or, or that cause? So when somebody comes to me and asks, you know, Pastor, I'd like to, to give a gift to this or to that or to, to another area of ministry or school or something that, that supports the work we're doing as a church, I know that's not coming from a place of coercion or fear or the law. 
That only comes from God working in a person's heart. The gospel moves us to be generous and to have this desire to say, hey, I don't want to be left out on this opportunity to give and to support this important work, the most important work that exists. And then when that happens, when you see God's people plead to participate, it shouldn't surprise us that it also then exceeds expectations. Because if somebody is begging and pleading to, to give and to participate in an offering the way that the Macedonians were, as, as Paul held them up as an example, then God has worked and is continuing to work on their hearts. And see, that's the, the difference. That's how we know somebody's giving can exceed expectations, especially in light of the fact that giving has less to do with amounts and more to do with attitudes. Otherwise, if, if this was a, a matter of, of giving generously was only a matter of, of amounts, then only those who are well off would be able to do that. And we'd have to write off most of people within Christianity, most Christians that, that don't fit that criteria of being wealthy. But the one example that comes to mind that is probably one of the most familiar in Scripture is the widow who gave up her might. She wasn't well off, and yet it wasn't the amount, it was her attitude. She gave all that she had. Where does that come from? But, but God working on a person's heart to generate and to grow in that grace of giving. In all of these examples, how did the Macedonians achieve that? Well, Paul says that they gave themselves first to the Lord. Godly giving, managing his gifts faithfully, isn't something that is natural to us. But when we give ourselves first to the Lord rather than to success in the eyes of this world or, or making a lot of money as purely the, the only goal, but when we give ourselves to the Lord, then what we're saying is, Lord, you take this heart, you cleanse it, you purify it, you shape it, you mold it, you transform it and change my attitude to be what you need it to be to contribute to your kingdom to use the gifts that you have given me to steward them well, to be a, a manager uh, of all of your gifts. And just as we saw it in the example of the Macedonians who gave themselves first to the Lord, the Lord did something with that. And he turned them into to generous givers. And, and as we consider what it looks like to give ourselves to the Lord, maybe it's worth considering that God is waiting to turn you into a modern-day Macedonian. In all of these things, we see a, a fine example through these Macedonians. So it's not surprising that Paul would use this example, that he would point the Corinthians, the point the Corinthians to, to, their, to their givers, to, to other givers, the Macedonians. It's also not surprising that Paul would remind the Corinthians of their gifts. Not necessarily their financial gifts, but but the spiritual gifts that God had doled out in rich abundance to the congregation there. And you can read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where Paul uh, dives into that whole topic of spiritual gifts and it becomes clear that God had richly blessed the congregation with a wide variety of spiritual gifts. And Paul appeals to that wide variety of gifts in verse 7. He says, Just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. 
He says, just as you have this wide variety of gifts and in an abundance, treat the grace of giving in the same way. Just as you pursue those spiritual gifts and seek to build others up through that, treat the grace of giving in the same way, knowing that I can also use your, your financial gifts as you excel in them to build up the body of Christ and to extend my kingdom. So Paul doesn't just point to the example of other givers. He also reminds the Corinthians of their gifts that he's already given to them. Now, I said that these are, are really the two examples that, that Paul points to or the means by which he encourages. And yet, maybe it's simpler to say there's really just one way that, that Paul is appealing uh, to the Corinthians. Yes, he used the example of, of other givers. Yes, he pointed them to their own gifts. But really, the overarching theme through all of this is Paul's appeal to grace. Do you notice how many times the word grace comes up? Even the way that Paul talks about giving and offerings, it's, it's always in the context of grace and giving. And even, the, even the, the act of giving itself is an act of grace, he calls it. What does this grace look like? That, that seeps through all of the cracks of Paul's words in these verses? Well, there's a, a clear expression of that grace in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I don't need to know what your gross income was on your last tax return, I know that you are rich. And it doesn't matter how much the, the stock market change this week or next week is going to impact your investment portfolio, I know that you are rich. And I don't know what your, your savings and your checking account, what those numbers are going to look like tomorrow or 20 years from now. I know that you are rich. And I don't know if your family member is going to name you as an inheritance, somebody to receive that inheritance, and whether that would be much or little or nothing at all. I know that you are rich. Here is the question. Well, I know that. Do you know how rich you are in Christ Jesus. Because that, dear friends, is what is going to make all of the difference when it comes to excelling in this grace of giving. See, if, if you don't know that, if you aren't there yet, and, and while you might think that this, this grace that God has gifted us with is the greatest thing on earth, and you're right, it is, and you might know this grace and appreciate it fully because you know that through it you have the confidence of, of eternal life and salvation through Jesus' forgiveness. And you do. But if you still struggle with this topic of, of grace, here's why. You haven't let grace into your wallet. You haven't let grace into your purse. Grace hasn't yet spilled into your bank accounts, and your investment portfolio. And until it does, you're not going to experience the, the joy that comes with giving generously. And, and that's not a slight. It simply means you're not there yet. Grace is still needed to pour into that foundation to, to get you there and to lead you there. But until then, you, you'll miss out on this, this joy of giving. 
which really comes down to this, as I said in the, the welcome this morning. If we're going to talk about this grace of giving, we really need to focus on where the giving really is coming from. See, here's the thing. God is not a groveler. He's a giver. God is never going to beg you for your offerings or your gifts because he doesn't need them, first and foremost. Secondly, or whichever order you want to place these, it's all his in the first place, right? It's all his. He doesn't need to beg or plead for you to give a thing to him. He doesn't need to command it either because it's his as it is. No, God isn't in the business of, of needing anything from us. He is the giver. And until we understand that relationship in giving, if we view godly giving, if we view generous giving as something God is taking from us instead of embracing everything that God has given to us, well, we won't enjoy or appreciate what it means to excel in that joy, that grace of giving. Kind of like an, an individual, someone that you could imagine maybe who had never heard of the joy of sleeping on a feather pillow. They had heard, though, that, that you'll get the best night's sleep if you just rest your head on feathers. It's like sleeping on a cloud. So this person tries it and they take a, a handful of feathers and they place it on the ground and they rest their head on those feathers. They wake up the next morning not well-rested at all, and not only that, with a headache, and they, they write it off as, as a myth, as a lie. They'd been duped. That was the worst night of sleep they've ever had. But you know what the problem was. They just grabbed a, a handful of feathers. But had they, on the other hand, grabbed fistful after fistful of feathers and, and held them together in a, in a sack, in a bag, and then rested their head on top of that, then they would have known the joy of resting their head on a cloud of air, a feather pillow. So it is with, with giving. Christians miss out on the joy of giving because they give so little and not at all freely. So what is required? Well, grace can change that. Grace changed it in the Macedonians. They're the perfect example of that. And what happened with the Corinthians? They continued to grow in grace as well through Paul's encouragement. So we know that grace changes minds and hearts and attitudes about giving. It did it for the Macedonians. The question is, will grace make an example of a generous giver out of you too? Amen.